as our series on God's mission plan, which has been running now since uh, early February, continues as we use the Paul's letter of Ephesians as a lens to view that vision plan, which we have summarized as shalom, as peace, as flourishing in the sanctuary of God. Today we come to a section of Ephesians that we could have a subheading, therefore, dot, dot, dot. Um, In a lot of Paul's letters, and certainly in Ephesians, Paul has provided a lot of input to explaining what God has done, what God's purpose is, God's mission, God's grace, the fullness of the spiritual blessings that we receive, that great... um, Uh, introduction in chapter one that talked about God's purpose is to see all people gathered together to enjoy the fullness the blessings of God's creation God's kingdom we've seen how uh, Jesus is so central to that work his life his death his resurrection and his ascension and how the spirit has come and has enabled uh, this mission work in the world continues the mission work in the world And in more recent weeks, we've seen how, as God's people, we have received God's grace, God's forgiveness, and this ongoing work of renewal in our lives. And now we come to the pragmatics. Some might say, well, that's all well and good, but so what? What difference does that make? What might that look like for someone watching on? So when Paul uses therefore, he's saying this is where it's all being headed, This is not only a reasonable pathway to follow through on, there's a passion behind Paul. He's saying, do you get it? Do you understand what life-changing truths these are? Because if you do, this is where it will take us. So this week we're going to explore the renewal of the spirit of our mind. Paul talks about the spirit of the mind Elsewhere in the same passage, he's talked about the our attitude of mind. And there are two spheres that we're going to cover, one this week and another next week, where Paul talks about what this work of redemption looks like. The first sphere that we'll look at today is the redemption within our inner being, what makes us who we are, and we look inward in terms of what shapes the choices and decisions that we make. And next week, we're going to look at the second dimension, the second sphere, which is the the world in which we live and move and operate. They are redemption in terms of a spiritual environment. And once the light has, has burst into that world... Why do you keep bumping into trees or falling over into ditches and things if, if the light is showing you how to avoid those things? So that'll be next week, but this week we're going to focus on the inner being. When Paul talks about what it means to be human, um, he uses a range of terms to describe what's happening within us, what makes us tick, the people that we are. And it's helpful to understand the types of terms that Paul uses that we've actually seen or heard reflected in the passage we've just had. Now, the first one on my slide at home was actually nice and bold and clear so you wouldn't miss it. When it went from my computer at home onto the church computer, it's lost the background, so you have to look deeper. But the words I'm telling you are there. Uh, A heart and mind. Um, 
Now, the heart and mind, Paul says, is the the control centre for who we are, what makes us tick. The heart is more than just our passions and those which move us emotionally. It's more than just the romanticised view of the heart. It is that which we are drawn towards. The mind is that which focuses and operates out of what we are energised by in life. Now, um, these two words are so central in Paul's thinking it that you can't really separate the, the two. So he, in this passage we've just heard, we've, Paul said that the way in which we think needs to be renewed because it has been based on falsehood. We'll come back to that in a minute. The Anglican prayer book that uh, shapes our prayers um, was originally uh, written up by Archbishop Thomas Cramner in the 16th century. 1552 was the first version of it. And uh, our subsequent prayer books, the 1662 Book of Common Prayer and our other versions, have all drawn on an insight of Archbishop Cramner that not only helps us to understand our prayer book and the prayers, but why it is so profound, the way in which the prayers are shaped. A summary of Archbishop Cramner's thinking comes in this little phrase. Um, it comes from Ashley Noel, a scholar who studied Cramner. And I'm going to use it a couple of times. Cramner affirmed that what the heart desires, the will chooses and the mind justifies. What the heart desires, what we truly love, the will will choose and the mind will have a finder way of justifying. Cramner knew it didn't start the other way around. He wasn't saying if you think straight, you will make good choices. There are some people who are amazingly well-educated and informed who make crazy choices. The philosophers in the ancient world and the Stoics said, all you need to do is get your thinking straight, then you will choose what is good. Then wondered why it didn't happen that way. Cramner is summarising the insights of St Paul. It starts with what we really want, our passions, our desires. And that's what we would choose one way or another. And our mind has a way of justifying it, explaining it, rationalising it. If our desire is for our own being, if our desire is for our love of ourself, if our desire is for our freedom and our rights, then we will have a way of justifying all sorts of policy and decisions and things that follow. A lot of our culture wars in the Western world get to this very point at the moment. So Paul's name is that the heart and the mind is central to the work of uh, what makes us who we are. Secondly, Paul says that the way in which we think about things are often shaped on assumptions and uh, thoughts or uh, proposals, statements that actually are not entirely true. They can be lies and they can be deceiving or they could at least not be able to deliver what they claim to make. And our Western world is no different than the first century. As I said last week, there's all sorts of opinions and views that are thrown out there that shape people's thinking that need a lot more examination than we often give them. 
So Paul says we need to be recognising that our thinking can be skewed because we're basing it on some lies and deceptions. Paul also says our passions do count. Now, unlike the Stoics who had a fear of passion, they would run a mile from being disturbed by someone else who was distressed and boast of how they managed to keep themselves in their inner space. Paul says passion is actually fine. It's what you are passionate about that matters. And if your passions are located on good and right things, that is wonderful. So Paul doesn't say, be wary of your passions. He asks, what is it that you love? And if what you love is what really excites you and animates you and gives you a sense of these are good choices, then that is a good pathway to explore. So Paul talks about the passions. He talks about our conscience, that inner voice that uh, is God-given, that often will, will prompt us when we're making choices and trying to justify it with our reasoning. And part of us knows, no, we just, you just need to listen to our conscience. Paul talks about our inward and outward realities. Um, our inner being and our outer being aren't always in alignment. Paul has a word for it. It's one of those painful words because it is so accurate. It is hypocrisy. Hypocrite is a, a, an actor in the Greek theatre who could put up a mask. And Paul says, often we are like actors putting on a mask. We present ourselves in a way which uh, others observing will say, that all seems someone's got their life in order and very respectable and so on. And our inner world can be very disconnected to that. Paul says, no, no, you need, that's a dangerous space to be in. We must have a, a consistency between our inner world, our inner reality, and the way in which we then conduct ourselves. Notice that Paul does not just say, behave yourselves, do these things, because that's the outward world. Paul says, no, it actually you need to go deeper than that. We have a body and members of our body, and the spirit actually inhabits our being, our bodies. But our body, our embodiment, is part of a corporate thing. We are part of the body of Christ. We are never to be viewed in isolation from others. We can never just say, look, my relationship was with God and how I relate to other people, not so important. God says, no, if you relate to me, you need to recognize your neighbors. You need to see those around you. Paul talks about our attitudes, an attitude of mind, which can be an attitude of, of, of boasting, of putting ourselves out there. In the ancient world, there was an art form, which we follow these days, of comparison. Our attitude might be, well, at least I'm not as bad as them, or at least you know my life is not as messed up as that person over there. That's all an attitude of mind. And Paul says that's... That's all about making us feel better. That's not particularly healthy. Instead of a, a boasting sense of uh, trying to build up our own sense of value or worth, Paul says much better to be humble-minded, to be gentle-minded, to be thinking of other people and their well-being and how we can build them up. That is a much better attitude of mind. We'll see a bit more of that as Paul concludes. And then finally, there is the will, the choices that we make. And God has given us the space 
the capacity to make choices. We are not puppets from God. We're not so pre-programmed that we have no ability. I had to do this, I had to do that. God has given us the capacity to make choices and decisions. In many things, they are totally secondary matters of no great moral value. It doesn't matter if you choose to eat Italian or Chinese or whatever. You can choose. But there are other areas of life in which we are accountable for how we make those choices. God has given us that freedom. So all of that is drawn together into our hearts and minds. Now there is a very limited uh, and a, a poor version of the gospel that reduces it down to, I just want assurance that I can be forgiven. I know I've done some things wrong. I want to be assured that I'm right with God that God will know me and receive me. So once I have that assurance of forgiveness, I can then go out and just live as I want to. That view of of the gospel as though it's just having that assurance in our hand or in our back pocket is a reductionist gospel. And it doesn't honour the gospel as it's spoken of in the New Testament. All these different areas interrelate to each other. It makes us the complex beings that we are. And God's work of redemption touches every sphere of that space. And the more in which we enable the spirit to be at work, the more that change will happen. Paul talks about how uh, when we fail to address and allow that work to be done, when we hold ourselves back and he uses the phrase, our hearts become hardened, that grieves the Holy Spirit who wants to see this, uh, this transformation and work to happen. This is no less the work of the gospel as the assurance of forgiveness. So Paul uses an image here, and it's a very uh, well-known and evocative one, of changing clothing. Take off the old way of life. Take off the old garments. Discard them. And allow ourselves to be wrapped into a new garment, a new way of life in Christ. This is a nice artwork from Ain Vares, uh, you can see online. Um, And it's a very, uh, I love the evocative nature, both in terms of the entrapment on the right, as of uh, that that which entangles and which stifles life, and the, the energy that comes from the new life. In some church traditions, this is literally enacted through baptism. So in some traditions, uh, before you enter into the water, you take off an old robe and discard it. And as you go down into the water to be baptised and emerge up out of the water, you are receiving a new cloak, a new robe to symbolise the new life. In some African countries, they do it even more dramatically. You, you take off your old robe on one side of the river and you go down into the waters for baptism, and you're baptised, and as you emerge and come up on the other bank, you receive the new clove to symbolise the new life that you receive. Now, how it's enacted and symbolised can be many and varied, but the spiritual reality is true nonetheless. So what does it look like to discard the old and to put on the new? Paul has a whole list of what the old looks like. 
And it doesn't take a lot of explanation. I mean, I couldn't do a whole sermon series on each of those, but really we just need to sit with it. And I've been trying to do this this week myself. The old way of life is lies and anger and theft and gossip and revenge and promiscuity and drunkenness. The new way of life that we put on says much better than all those is not lies but truth, not anger but peace, not theft but generosity, not gossip but encouraging other people and building them up, not revenge but forgiveness, not promiscuity and just do whatever our instincts tell us but self-control. And in chapter 5, Paul would tell us, do not get drunk with wine but be filled by the Spirit. Suddenly this image and metaphor takes a focus that is incredibly grassroots and real life and all the realities of the choices and the way in which we go about our day from one day to the next. This is the the flesh and blood reality of the work of the gospel in our life. I'm not going to go through those lists, but there is one in particular I do want to highlight because Paul does so. He says, "When uh, be angry. So it doesn't say don't be angry. But when you're angry, do it in a way that doesn't lead you to sin. And in particular, he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Somewhere you need to draw a line on it. And the more it lingers, the more it carries from one day to the next day to the next day. Sundown is the end of the day in the, uh, the, the biblical way of thinking about each day. Uh, Fiona and I have sought in our 42 years of marriage, done a, not a bad job, of ensuring that by sundown we do try and clear the air. Is there anything we need to have a, a conversation about and to work through? Occasionally I might push it to the smaller hours of the morning and then relent and saying, yes, you're right, I'm sorry. But it's not a bad principle. But more to the point, it actually has the danger of entangling us. It can lead to bitterness and resentness and an unwillingness to let go. And in the end, we are the ones who get choked by that. Paul says that way of thinking chokes off the life that God wants us to experience as we, as we hold on to those issues. So there's, a, I think, a, a salutary thing to remind ourselves that somewhere we need to draw the line and let go of some of those issues and resentment or at least seek to try and get them resolved in as much as we are able to do so. So Paul then says, drawing us together, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the clothing that we can put on. Now I can tell you as a mere male at times, some of the most stressful decisions that I struggle with on a daily basis and I say this in all honesty, is standing in front of my wardrobe trying to decide what shirt to put on each day. <laughs> it's a big choice, you know, and sometimes my brain just is... It's a, it's a first world problem. I have a range of choices that I could actually make in the first place. What can we choose to clothe ourselves with in Christ? If we are to be like God, then we can grow in true Righteousness. Now it sounds like a uh, you know, highfalutin spiritual 
term, but it simply means making the right choices. At its core, to be in true righteousness is to be relating to God rightly. And if we were relating to God rightly, then we will be relating to our neighbours rightly. Pretty clear in Jesus' teaching. What does this mean? Love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And by the way, if you do that, then you'll love your neighbour as yourself. It doesn't take rocket science to work it out. But that is what it is to live rightly, to choose rightly, to view ourselves and the world around us rightly. And Paul adds to that, and holiness. Now again, that brings images of being holier than thou and all those sort of uh, fanciful notions. It's not being holier than thou. It's actually recognised that God has shown his grace to us, has chosen us, as he, Paul started in the beginning of chapter 4, and how we need to balance that being called and chosen by God with our, our call, living it out, is in balance. That's the word that we, we looked at in, in uh, verse 1. So to be holy is to be dedicated and to be faithful to the calling that God has called us. We're called for a purpose. For Jesus and for Paul and for us, it is to be dedicated, to be loyal to being the people that we're called to be, to be about the mission, the work of God in this world. So how might we do that? Well, first of all, we note that this is to be like God brings back the imagery of restoring creation, humanity, male and female, uniquely created as the image in the image and likeness of God. We're being drawn back into that calling that all humanity have. So what does that look like? Now, I know that you won't be able to see all the fine text within it. It's actually part of the point. But it has words like to follow, to, uh, to uh, attend to, to support, to serve, to care, to, uh, uh, um, to be there for others, to minister to, to celebrate, to come alongside. All these different words and terms that, that are used of what God is asking of us. This is the new attitude of mind that is incredibly powerful and we underestimate how these little smaller notions make an enormous difference. If our attitude of mind is as so many messages in our Western culture tell us that it's all about me and about being true to myself and I have to do this and about my rights and my freedoms and don't impinge on that, that actually can lend up to very disgruntled neighbourhoods. You ask two neighbours how to resolve some of those issues. Whereas if this new attitude of mind that is focused, actually life is not all about me, but what God is seeking to do in and through me and how I can support and build up others and encourage and all these little things that we can do on a daily basis. We can do it in the shops, we can do it on a car park of all places. Let people go in and yeah, sure have that spot. Rats. This is actually the mission of God. And we should not underestimate just how much of a difference it can make. Now, you might know that I'm uh, fairly passionate in my Kiwi blood as a New Zealander. 
Um, I'm a dual citizen, Australian, as well. Um, but one of the things I really like about Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, is that she finishes lots of her press conferences with a line she uses quite intentionally. She said just, and by the way, be kind to each other. And she finishes her press conference. And she started using it during her first election campaign, and people said, yeah, that's a pretty sort of um, small sentiment, you know, wishful thinking, as if. Actually, by having that reinforced from a leader time and again and demonstrated by the way in which we've, she's called upon the nation to respond at times of need and care and when there's a threat or there's an issue, she would say, be kind to each other. It actually shapes the culture. Paul says here, Paul's summary statement at the end of the section, be kind and compassionate to one another. To be compassionate is actually to allow ourselves to feel what other people are feeling. One of the difficulties that comes in conflict is that we shut ourselves off and don't want to feel what others are feeling and to explore further why people may be agitated or fearful or feel have been hurt. The Stoics, who were the dominant philosophy in the first century, would run a mile from the need to, to, to come alongside alongside someone in distress. Some of them boasted about it, said, oh, my children were sick and they were distressed, but it was okay, I got the nurse to come and take care of them and I left the house for a, for a month. And they said, you know, so I'm actually in a good space, I'm in a good, I, I'm not disturbed, I'm not distressed, so the Stoics would say. And then one of the great Stoic teachers, Epictetus, said, really? You think of what your nurse is able to do for your children is less than that? Paul says, no, we need to enter into that space because that is what Christ did. Sympathy to feel with, to have compassion with, enables us to build community and to be, offer that support. So Paul's headline summary, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Let me just stay on that very last phrase for a moment. To forgive is to release. It is to let go. We may be right. We may have every reason to hold a grievance. We may have every reason to say, look, this is not good enough and you have wronged me. But somewhere we need to let go. Release those chains. Why? Because that is precisely what God has done for us. In Christ, God has shown his grace to us. The language for forgiveness here in this verse is showing grace. Show, God has showed his grace to you. Paul has just said three chapters in Ephesians spelling out how incredibly rich and powerful and life-changing that is. So he simply concludes, therefore, in effect, show grace to each other. For that is part of the mission of God. And do not underestimate what the power of grace is in a world, as Miroslav Wolf puts it, in a culture that is stripped of grace. Amen. And a wonderful song that Robin has chosen for us to respond to this. May the mind of Christ my Saviour.
And uh, just to mention, we often do have an uh, interlude during our service. We're not having an interlude in the service today. It's partly because it's a communion service. But it's actually going to come right at the end. So if you're feeling as though, where's our interlude? Uh, wait, there's more. Um, at the end of the service, we're going to have a uh, version of the blessing. So just whet your appetite. But thank you, Robin, for choosing this wonderful song. Please be seated. And this affirmation of faith comes from 1 Peter as well as from Romans. Join together. We believe and trust in God the Father, by whose great mercy we have been born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We believe and trust in God the Son, who died for our sin and rose again that we might be made right with God. We believe and trust in God the Holy Spirit, who speaks to us giving assurance that we are children of God. We believe and trust in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. One John tells us that if we claim to be sinless, we are self-deceived and strangers to the truth. But if we confess our sins, God is just and may be trusted to forgive our sins and cleanse us from every kind of wrongdoing. Spirit of God, search our hearts. Let's join together in this prayer of confession. Almighty God, we confess that we have sinned against you, for we have denied your saving presence in our lives and we have grieved your Holy Spirit. Come to us in the fire of your love and set our minds on the things of the Spirit that we may bear his fruit in love and joy and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God desires that none should perish, but that all should turn to Christ and live. In response to his call, we acknowledge our sins. God pardons those who humbly repent and truly believe the gospel. Therefore, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. One John also tells us that if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the perfect offering for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Confident that we are the children of God, let us join together in our Christian family prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from a time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We'll now have our time of intercessory prayer. Thank you, Elspeth. After the words, Lord, in your mercy, please respond with hear our prayer. And I'm opening this morning with a prayer from Barnabas Aid. Lord God and Heavenly Father, as many of us meet together to, to worship you, we think of those, our brothers and sisters around the world, who are not able to do this. We lift up to you all those in prison, all those in hiding, all those who have no fellowship with other believers because there are so few Christians on their land. We pray that you will be especially close to all such as these 
that they may not miss out on the gladness of attending the house of the Lord. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Lord, in our prayers for the world, we bring to you the people of Afghanistan trying to rebuild their lives after the recent earthquake, which has destroyed villages and taken many lives. We pray that world organisations will be able to reach the areas in need with food and medical care. We also continue to pray for peaceful solution for the war which is ravaging Ukraine. There are also countries in Africa where unrest continues. We ask that you will bring miracles of peace and healing between communities and groups of people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Here in Australia, we give thanks, Father God, for the freedom to worship without harassment. We pray for our political leaders in federal and state parliaments. Please direct their work and influence their decisions to the advancement of your glory and the safety and welfare of this country so that our resources may be shared equally and truth and justice may be established among all people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we pray for the church throughout the world. We bring to you, Father, our missionaries in the different areas of the world who continue to show by word and deed the love of Jesus. We pray for Frances Cook in Chile, that you will uphold her as she continues to teach, train and equip Christian leaders in the Pastoral Studies Centre. We also pray for Arthur and Tammy Davis and their children, Elliot and Callum, working with the university students in Tanzania. Here in Australia, we give thanks for the work of the Bush Church Aid Society and the ministers who take the gospel to people in isolated areas. We particularly pray for the people of Kangaroo Island and Coobapedi as they await the appointment of ministers to lead their congregations. May your Holy Spirit comfort and strengthen these your servants in all situations. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we give thanks for this parish of St Matthew's and pray for our minister, Bishop Tim, and with he, Tim and he with Fiona, faithfully encourage us in our faith each week. We pray for all who serve in different areas, the parish council, Linda in the office, those who volunteer and care for the church and garden, the musicians, the sound system operators, and those who help with morning tea. Also thank you, Lord, for the course Tim has led over the last eight weeks about handling the Bible. We've been blessed by his knowledge and teaching skills. We pray now for safety for Tim and Fiona as they travel overseas for the Lambeth Conference this month and for John as he spends time with his siblings. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And Father God, we bring to you now those in our parish and those close to us needing special prayer. We ask for comfort and strength for these, our friends, as they cope with illnesses and other problems. We bring you Douglas and Jean Courtney, John and Zelda Pierman, Roger Wheaton, Barry Spaulding, Jim Parsonage and Mia Schoen. May they remember you love them and are with them in their hour of need. Accept our prayers through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Let us continue of our prayer for Ukraine as uh, we persist in praying that God would bring an end to the war there. God of peace and justice, we pray for the people of Ukraine today. We pray for peace and the laying down of weapons. We pray for all those who fear for tomorrow, that your spirit of comfort would draw near to them. We pray for those with power over war or peace, for wisdom, discernment and compassion to guide their decisions. And above all, we pray for all your precious children, at risk and in fear, that you would hold and protect them. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen. And join with me in our parish prayer. God, our Father, you have made us members of Christ and of his church in this parish. Through your spirit, may our worship be the offering of our hearts and lives to you. Help us to reach out in welcome to newcomers and visitors, to encourage and care for each other in friendship and fellowship, and to grow in grace, love and unity. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, you have promised to hear our prayers. Grant that what we have asked in faith, we may by your grace receive. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We prepare for the, uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, just have a few moments now just to, uh, to greet those around you. I ask you to stand at this stage. Um, this is where we do acknowledge that we uh, gather in the name of Christ and extend a greeting of peace with you. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Please be seated. Being the first Sunday of the month, we are gathering together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. All glory and honour be yours always and everywhere, mighty Creator, ever-living God. We give you thanks and praise for your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who by the power of your Spirit was born of Mary and lived as one of us. Today we give you thanks for the promise and fulfilment of your promise that you pour your Spirit upon us 
filling us with gifts and leading us into all truth. You give us power to proclaim your gospel to all nations and to serve you as a royal priesthood. Therefore, of angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we lift our voices to praise you, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. On the night before he died, Jesus took bread. And when he given you thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup and again giving you thanks. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We eat this bread and drink this cup to proclaim the death of the Lord. We do this until he returns. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, as we recall his saving death and glorious resurrection, may we who share these gifts be renewed by your Holy Spirit and united in the body of your Son. Now, gracious God, we thank you for these gifts of bread and wine, and we pray that we who receive them in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, according to our Saviour's word, I think we keep on going, Andy, sorry we've done that, bring us with all your people into the joy of your eternal kingdom, there to feast at your table and to join in your eternal praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. We who are many are one body, for we all share in the one bread. As you come forward to take communion, we have it both in terms of the bread, which is gluten-free, and the wine. If you would prefer to use juice, just look for the row with the J on, the, uh, on that row, and that has the juice that is contained. And uh, it is our practice that someone will guide us one uh, row at a time to come forward to the front, um, and then we work our way across the church. And let us take this sacrament of the body and blood of Christ in remembrance that he died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. If those who are assisting would come forward first of all.
Let us pray. Giver of life and love, we thank you that in this heavenly banquet you invigorate and renew us. Living in the unity of the Spirit, may we boldly use these gifts and continue your work in the world. Together, we offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. And as we also bring our offerings together, whether they've been provided online or through the box in the corner, and however we contribute, let us pray together. Lord, we offer these gifts to you with thankful hearts and in joyous praise. As we give of our money and resources, we surrender our whole beings to you in worship and adoration. Lord, may these offerings extend the work of your kingdom in your church, your community, and into the beautiful world which you have made. Amen. A couple of notices to bring to your attention. First of all, um, we have a contact details form. So if you are new to the church or if you need to update your details or need to point someone else as to where and how to do so, they are found on the info central table in the corner of the hall and you just pop them into the slot in the office door. And also uh, coming up this Thursday at 10 a.m., we're having the, the first of our sort of uh, meetings and gatherings where you can come with some ideas or hear what other ideas and thoughts others have under a broad umbrella of a uh, community workshop and a recreate um, makerspace. It's actually the term I'm now choosing. A makerspace is actually where you, people can come with an idea and if two or three share the idea, you work through how can we make it work? How can we progress it? So one of the projects that's been talked about is to redevelop the uh, transportable at the end of the car park and the shed space into both a sort of a repair shop space but also where people can come and do projects and have a workspace for four to six weeks to work on something. There's also some thoughts around um, a community garden, around some hospitality and some other ideas have been emerging. So uh, you're most welcome to come and to contribute or to listen to that. And uh, if you uh, think of others who might be welcome, this is an invitation. The goal is to build community, to have space to build relationships. Take some of the flyers and pass them on to others who may be interested with that. Uh, now, Fiona and I will be departing in two and a bit weeks. Um, it's only getting closer, so I have two more Sundays after this week and then we'll be over in the UK for the Lambeth Conference. I'm delighted to let you know that Stuart Langshaw is returning for that period and will be covering our Sunday services and the Wednesday services. So you'll be in wonderful hands with Stuart and Valerie, who are looking forward to coming, but also just letting you aware that's the continuation of the pastoral care at that time. I think we have our song, the Reconciliation Song, which we had introduced last week, so we're hoping that people will now give even stronger voice to uh, the theme that reconciliation is such a strong gospel uh, area of ministry. I encourage those of you further back to stand and to sing this. Um, after our final blessing, there will be a the blessing song, so I encourage you to be seated for that.
um, and then you're welcome to come through to morning tea thereafter.
Please be seated. Lord God, thank you that we are your family in Christ. Help us to share his love and legacy with everyone that we encounter this week. May we lavish Christ's abounding goodness upon our families, friends and neighbourhood. Holy Spirit, come, equip and reshape us in every aspect of our lives. May we be your hands and feet to the needy, your words of affirmation to the oppressed and your arms of comfort to the lonely. Thank you for choosing to use us to advance your kingdom here on earth. Amen. Now, after this uh, final blessing, um, I shall depart to put the coffee on. Uh, but I invite you to stay here and just to listen to this Australian version. The story behind this is that in 2020, as COVID struck, a, a song was written about the blessing, and uh, it was picked up by nations and churches right around the world. There's about um, 90 different versions of it now available in different languages and different cultures. It's based on Aaron's great blessing, and this coming up afterwards is the Australian version. May God stir up within you the gift of the Spirit that you may confess Jesus Christ as Lord and proclaim the joy of everlasting gospel wherever you may be. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, be amongst us and remain with us always. Amen. From the bush to the beaches, the migrant to the indigenous, don't go by sea, we're not isolated. We're the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Through the fires and drought, no virus could ever hold us down. 